Let me, let me tell you four quick things to remember when we're going through the book of Daniel. And tonight we are doing the whole chapter 8, all of chapter 8. So here's four things to remember. What Daniel shows us over and over again in every chapter is that God is the Lord of nations. God is the Lord of nations, pagan nations, Christian nations, tweener nations. God is the Lord of nations. The second thing, he sees the end of something before its beginning begins. I mean, only God can do that. He sees the end of something before its beginning begins. And then third, he puts down one leader and raises up another. God does that over and over again in the book of Daniel. God puts down one leader and raises up another. And then the last thing, no man, nation, or devil can resist his will. Not any. How many of you read ahead in Daniel 8, and how many of you can say it is deep? How many of you can say, I'm glad you're going to explain it tonight? All right. Now, uh, we are in chapter 8. Last time we closed out chapter 7 with Daniel having seen in a vision the return of Jesus and the establishment of the Lord Jesus' eternal kingdom. But now as we begin chapter 8, Daniel's given another amazing prophetic vision, and I want to just dive into verse 1 because he's going to give us uh, uh, the, the timing of this vision. Verse 1, in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, to me, Daniel, after the one that appeared to me the first time. So he's, he's telling us this is the second vision. Chapter 7 was the first one. Chapter 8 is the second one. So the timeline here is the third year of Babylon's final king, Belshazzar. You remember Belshazzar is the one who was partying hardy, and all of a sudden that hand appeared and started writing on the wall. And it wrote, meeny, meeny, tackle you parson, which in a nutshell meant you're done, dude, and so is your kingdom. Now that's the revised, wickwire slanted revised version. That's really it. The kingdom of Babylon is done, and so are you. And that was the writing on the wall. Now, Daniel likely received this vision, the one he's talking about in verse 1, not long before the death of Belshazzar and the overthrow of Babylon by the Medes and the Persians. Remember, we've had four kingdoms that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed about and Daniel dreamed about. And it was Babylon, the Medes and the Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans. Now, when he had the dream and the vision, when he had the dream and the vision, the uh, Babylon was, was in play. But now, the Medes and the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans are all future when he has this dream and has this vision. Daniel lets us know that this vision is a continuation of the vision of the preceding chapter that he refers to as the one that appeared to me the first time. When God gives you a dream or a vision, you don't forget it. Now, we're going to see that this new vision is regarding the following. Let me just list them. One, the overthrow of the Persian monarchy. And that Persian monarchy hasn't even taken over yet. Keep that in mind. He sees the Medes and the Persians taking over and then coming to their end before they even begin. And then second, by the Greeks under Alexander the Great. He sees that it's going to be the Greeks. 
that take over the Medes and the Persians. And then third, the division of Alexander's Greek empire. And then fourth, the oppression of Israel by a man named Antiochus Epiphanes, who we're going to see as a type of Antichrist, who we'll talk about more in just a little bit. Now, Daniel continues in verse 2, and let's read verse 2. I saw in the vision, and it so happened while I was looking, that I was in Shushan, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision that I was by the river Ulai. Now, I don't know how you pronounce that thing, but it doesn't matter to you or to me. I'm going to give it a good old college try. The river Ulai or Ulai, we'll just leave it there. It was a river. That's what we need to know. For some reason, I've noticed this. For some reason, the prophets of God often had their visions in the serene setting of a river. And the only thing I can think of is the Holy Spirit being like a river likes rivers. Amen? A lot of them had had visions at, at rivers. Now verse 3, he goes on, Then I lifted my eyes, and I saw, and there standing beside the river was a ram. Now here's the first character in his dream stepping onto the stage of history, a ram. And notice what he sees. It had two horns. But he sees further the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other. And the higher one came up last. Now, remember, when we see something like this, God never wastes a word, and God always intends something with what he shows. Now, once again, God has chosen to speak to Daniel through the symbolism of an animal, this time a ram with two horns. Now, in the vision of chapter 7, remember, there were four animals because God God was speaking about four kingdoms, and each animal represented one of the kingdoms that God was showing Daniel about. But in chapter 8, in his second vision, Daniel's receiving revelation of only about two kingdoms, hence a ram with two horns. Now, the first of the four empires that we've looked at over and over again was Babylon. And it's completely omitted in this second vision because its fate is already known and it was now reaching its end. Every earthly kingdom, everybody, comes to an end. America will come to an end one day, I hate to tell you. China will come to an end. Russia will come to an end. Um, Every nation in the world will come to an end, but there is one kingdom that we see about over and over again in Daniel that will never come to an end. And what is that? The kingdom of, of God. And who's the king? Jesus. Jesus' kingdom will never, never come to an end. It's an eternal kingdom, but it's the only one that will never come to an end. The rest of them do. And that's what we see in Daniel repeatedly. Now, the second empire in Daniel's former vision, the Medes and the Persians, or the Medo-Persian Empire, is the first focus in this second vision, the ram with two horns. And what is compared to a bear in chapter 7 is here symbolized by a ram in chapter 8, but it's the same kingdom, the Medes and the Persians. Everybody got it? This ram has two horns. And according to the angel Gabriel who speaks to Daniel in verse 20 of this chapter, it symbolizes the empire of the Medes and the Persians. So two horns, Medes and the Persians, which have been combined into one great coalition by the emperor Cyrus. So the reason the ram has two horns 
is very simple. It's because two kingdoms, the Medes and the Persians, together conquered Babylon and replaced it. On that night when Belshazzar was killed and the Medes and the Persians came over and took over Babylon. But it was two kingdoms brought into one coalition, one ram, two horns. Horns in the Bible always represent authority, power, and kingdoms. Now, I want you to notice that one of the horns is higher than the other. You know why? It's because though the Medes had a longer, richer history than did the Persians, under Cyrus, the Persians gained the ascendancy. They came up last. Daniel saw two horns, two horns that were high, but one rose above the other in the end. Hence, Daniel sees the second horn rising higher than the first one in the end. Now, remember again, I've got to remind you, this hadn't even happened yet. Daniel has seen history before the history began. <laughs> it's like if I sat here and told you tonight, I had a dream, and I saw the eagle, America, passing away, and another kingdom came in and took over America. And here's what it looks like, and I told you the whole thing. And a year from now, America was taken over by the very kingdom I described, and I already told you the end of that new kingdom before its beginning began. Only God can do that. Only God can do that, not Nostradamus. Okay? Now, let's look at verse 4 because it gets way deeper. Let's look at verse 4. I saw the ram pushing westward, northward, and southward so that no animal could withstand him, nor was there any that could deliver from his hand, but he did according to his will and became great. This is a prediction of how the Medes and the Persians would behave. And this was all fulfilled. Are you ready? Let me give you some history. History tells us that under Cyrus himself, the Persians push their conquests westward as far as the Aegean Sea, subduing Babylonia, Syria, and Asia Minor, and extended them to part of Greece under his successors, Darius and Xerxes. So there is the westward push. It happened in history. And then they pushed northward. Isn't that what he saw? I saw the ram pushing westward, northward, and southward. They pushed northward, and they subdued the Lydians, Iberians, Albanians, Armenians, Cappadocians, and the adjacent countries. That may mean nothing to you, except you need to catch that they did exactly what God told Daniel they would do before they even came on the scene. But then he said, I saw them also pushing southward. And we know from history, perfectly in line with Daniel's prophetic vision, they pushed southward. And they conquered Arabia, Egypt, Ethiopia, and India. They, they behaved exactly the way God showed Daniel they would behave. But guess what? We don't see them pushing eastward here, do we? They went west, they went north, they went south, but not east. And did you know that that is exactly what happened in history? The Medo-Persian Empire never turned eastward. Say with me, he knows the end before the beginning begins. Now, this is where the real prophets stand and all others fall, all right? He, he's telling us what, a nation, what nation is going to come, 
what its characteristics are going to be and how it's going to behave, what it's going to conquer before it even shows up. Now, then another player steps onto the pages of history in Daniel's dream. So we got the ram, and look what he sees next in verse 5. And as I was considering, suddenly a male goat came from the west across the surface of the whole earth. And that, what does it say about his characteristic? What does it say? Without what? Touching the ground. And the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. Now, these are the inspired words of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Theonoustos is the word for inspiration, and it means breathed out by God. Now, here, God is is telling us how history is going to happen once again. The male goat here is the introduction of the next kingdom to come, the Greeks. And you know who the notable horn is? It's Alexander the Great. The fact that Daniel sees his feet not touching the ground describes the way Alexander conquered the world of his day with great speed and rapidity. Remember that in Daniel's first dream, he was characterized as a leopard, and the leopard is the fastest land animal. A leopard can run a short distance at 80 miles an hour. Did you know that? Think about that. I want you to think about that. That's one of God's creations. A leopard can open it up and put the pedal to the metal and run 80. If you were going down 35, going 80, a leopard in a short burst could keep up with you. That's amazing. And and he's described, Alexander is described as as a leopard, and his characteristic is that that he, he covered the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground. In other words, he's running so fast, it's as if his feet don't touch the ground. And this is the way Alexander conquered. Military people to this day look back on Alexander's conquests. He's amazing. He was a wonder kind. He, he was a, a prodigy. He was, he was unbelievable. He was taught by Aristotle. Aristotle mentored him, which doesn't necessarily impress me. I'm, I'm, I don't care for Aristotelian logic or philosophy. My philosopher is Jesus. But, but you got you know, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. Aristotle mentored Alexander. And so he had this, this rich background. But look now, next we see a battle. And the battle is going to be between the ram and this male goat. So between the Medes and the Persians and the Greeks. Now watch this, verse 6. Then he came to the ram that had two horns. Who's that? The Medes and the Persians which I had seen standing beside the river and ran at him with furious power. That's the way Alexander conquered. Look at verse 7. I saw him confront the ram. He was moved with rage against the ram, attacked the ram, and broke his two horns, representing who? The Medes and the Persians. There was no power in the ram to withstand him. Alexander won all his battles, except the battle with himself which I'll show you in a minute. There was no power in the ram to withstand him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled him, and there was no one that could deliver the ram from his hand. It's exactly the way history went down. This describes the way Alexander attacked the Medes and the Persians. It was vicious, it was ferocious, and he won the battle, and he came on strong, and he didn't stop until they were trampled into the ground, and the Greeks took over the Medo-Persian Empire. 
History tells us that originally the Persians had attacked the Greeks under their leader, Darius. And apparently, that made Alexander mad. So under his leadership, the Persians are being attacked in return, and they are decimated. There was no power in the ram, writes Daniel, to stand before that male goat, Alexander and the Greeks. Now, Alexander conquered wherever he came. He routed all the forces. He took all the cities and castles, and he entirely subverted and ruined the Persian Empire. Remember, Daniel is seeing this before they are ever on the stage of history. Now, Daniel continues to describe Alexander and the Greeks. Look at verse 8. Therefore, the male goat grew very great, and he did indeed. But when he became strong, the large horn was broken. Who's the large horn? Talk to me, Alexander. And what happened to him? He's broken. And what happened in place of him? What took his place? Four notable horns came up toward the four winds of heaven. And we know that when Alexander died, his four generals took over. Daniel didn't know that was going to happen in and of himself. But that's exactly the way history went down. When Alexander the the horn was broken. Four generals took over. Four notable ones came up toward the four winds of heaven. Now, I mentioned that last time that Alexander was an extraordinary military genius. He died at 33 years old. Can you imagine? He conquered much of the known world at, before he was 33. I know people still living in mama's basement when they're 33. He took over the world at thir- before he was 33. That was back when men were men and not the crybabies we're producing today, but don't get me on that. Y'all have noticed that after the election, many of the colleges had to provide cry rooms for the students. Oh, my Lord. I read that and I say, this is who's going to rule the the nation tomorrow? This is who's coming up next? They they brought them dogs to comfort them and, and they put them in safe rooms? Please. I like manly men, manly men, men that can take some adversity. But I digress. But Alexander conquered most of the world before he was 33. And there are two accounts of his final days and death, and both include over-drinking, slipping into a fever, and dying. He conquered the world, but he couldn't conquer himself. Folks, there's a real lesson here. He conquered the world, but he couldn't conquer himself. He was an alcoholic, and he drank and overdrank and overdrank. Uh, you read the history of Alexander. He, was a, he got drunk all the time. He, he was a drunkard. He was a functioning alcoholic, but it finally got him. He conquered the world, couldn't conquer himself. The horn in Daniel's vision is broken. Four notable horns replace it. Four of Alexander's generals replaced him, showing the incredible accuracy of Daniel's vision from God. But it's not over. Now yet another player steps onto the stage in Daniel's vision. Verse 9, and out of one of them, one of the four generals, came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great towards the south, east, and towards the glorious land being Jerusalem and Israel. Now remember, I don't want us to get confused between the little horn in chapter 7 and the little horn in chapter 8 because they're not the same. 
In chapter 7, we're introduced to that, another little horn uh, that came up, remember, from the midst of ten horns or ten nations or ten leaders of nations in the last days. And that was the Antichrist. Those ten horns are ten nations that evolve in the last days out of the ancient Roman Empire, symbolized by the terrible beast that so troubled Daniel. And that's what we looked at last time. But this is not the same little horn. This next little horn in chapter 8 is different because its origins are different. Instead of appearing in the midst of the ten horns of the Roman Empire, this little horn comes out of one of the four horns or generals that inherit Alexander's kingdom. So this little horn in chapter 8 is totally different from the little horn of chapter 7. And this is, again, exactly what happened, just as God showed Daniel. One of the four generals was named Antiochus the Great. And out of his family came a vile man named Antiochus Epiphanes. And he goes down in history as the first man to to commit an abomination of desolation. Okay? That we all are familiar with because of the prophecy of Jesus. Jesus said, that uh, he said, when you see the abomination of desolation happen, you better head for the hills. And just just a, a couple of decades after Jesus said that, uh, the fall of Rome happened, or the fall of Jerusalem happened, rather, the fall of Jerusalem. And they, they walked into the temple, the Romans did, and they desecrated the temple, committed the abomination of desolation, just like Jesus said would happen. But Antiochus Epiphanes is the first in history to desecrate the Holy of Holies, the, the inner sanctum of the temple of God. The name Epiphanes comes from a root name meaning madman, and it fits him. In chapter 7, we're introduced to the Antichrist who's yet to come. But here we're introduced to a type of the Antichrist in his actions and in his blasphemies. Antiochus Epiphanes was able by hook and crook to gain control of Syria, from which he began attacking other nations. Now, let's read more about him, because he is the little horn that arose out of one of the four generals, Antiochus the Great. So let's read more about him, verse 10. And it, the little horn, grew up to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the hosts and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. All right, let's take some of, this, some of these, this verbiage, some of these words and phrases. The host of heaven, what does that mean? Uh, that he, he grew up to the host of heaven. It, it likely points to the Jewish priesthood who, by their continual attendance on God's service in the temple, were like the angels in heaven. Persons, you'll see in the Bible, persons of, of principal dignity and of high offices are often called stars in the Scriptures. Remember when we went through the book of Revelation and and in the beginning of the book, we saw that the stars that Jesus mentioned were the pastors of the churches? So there you have a principal person being called a star or a light giver. That's the idea. So a a person in a high office, uh, one of the offices of God, is supposed to be, should be, a light giver. I hope I'm shining some light tonight. Amen? So Daniel called them stars. And what does he say about them? They were trampled. They were murdered by this evil man, Antiochus Epiphanes. 
Daniel continues in verse 11. He, Antiochus, even exalted himself as high as the prince of the host. And by him, the daily sacrifices were taken away. They were taken away by force. And the place of his sanctuary, God's sanctuary, capital H, was cast down. So what you got here, folks, is a man doing great damage to what is sacred, to what is holy, to what has been instituted by God. Now, again, you got that phrase, he exalted himself as high as the prince of the host. What's the prince of the host? That's likely a reference to God himself. Because Antiochus Epiphanes removed the legitimate high priest of the temple who was representing God and installed a man named Jason in his place, who was an ungodly pagan who set up heathen rites in God's temple. Again, let me point out, Antiochus Epiphanes is a, a spoiler. A, a, he's staining. He's defiling what God has established. Do you know the Bible says in the last days, people will no longer discern between the common and the sacred? Do you know that's happening in our day right now? People are no longer discerning between the common and the sacred. Epiphanes was this way. He didn't care that it was the temple of God. He didn't care that it was the holy of holies. He didn't care that the Shekinah glory of God had appeared in that inner room. But he defiled it. He trampled it. He disrespected it. He is a vile, anti-God type of antichrist man. He committed blasphemy by taking away the daily sacrifices that were made for the whole nation and by forbidding worship in the temple. He forbade God being worshipped in his own temple. Daniel says, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down or cast out or rendered profane. So he's a type of antichrist. So what happened? This is exactly what happened, what Daniel saw. The temple was deprived of the honor and privilege that belonged to the holy place, as if the walls had been thrown down which separated it from common ground. You know, I'm very aware, folks, for instance, when we come into this place to worship, it's in and of itself, it's just brick and cement and steel and you know, carpet, and there's nothing sacred about it. But because we come in here to worship God, it is a sacred place. And I I feel respect for this house, Uh, you know, because when you are here and we're worshiping the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, in spirit and in truth, it ceases to become common. And it becomes a special place. I mean, and your body... Your body was taken from the dirt, but because you have this treasure in an earthen vessel, it is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and it's not any longer common. But yet, you'll, you'll see a lot of Christians don't get a hold of that truth, and they continue to treat their body as if it were common. They involve themselves in the sins of the world, sins of the culture, and they don't realize that that your body now holds the same presence that the Holy of Holies held when the temple was valid. God moved from the temple of the Old Testament to the temple of your body. So it's the temple of the Holy Spirit. So that means it's special. 
can feel you guys thinking, ooh. Now, this also includes the profaning of the high priesthood, which Antiochus put up for sale. And he let utterly godless men have it. Whoever bought their way into the priesthood got into the priesthood. So that both the sanctuary itself and the priesthood were totally rendered profane. Now, Daniel continues with his focus on this wicked man in verse 12. So let's read about Antiochus a little bit further. Verse 12, because of transgression, an army was given over to the horn, that's Antiochus, to oppose the daily sacrifices. And he cast truth down to the ground. Remind you of America? Where's truth in America? Huh? There's no more absolute truth. It's all relative. Now, truth is was cast down to the ground. He did all this, and he prospered. So there was a season there when Antiochus got away with all this stuff, and that's what will happen with Antichrist. That's why he's a type of Antichrist. Antichrist will get away with his antics for seven years. Antiochus got away with his antics for a little over six years. He prospered so greatly in attempts against the Jews and their religion that he built a citadel in the city of David, placed a garrison of soldiers there, to disturb and harass those that should come to worship God at the temple. It was persecution time in Jerusalem under this vile man. Now next, Daniel does what no false prophet dares do. He writes down the exact time this awful period of persecution will last. And by the way, don't miss next week. Well, we will miss next week. Don't miss the week after because we're going to talk about Daniel's 70 weeks. And he will seal his reputation as an indisputable prophet beyond all argument when we look at Daniel's 70 weeks. Now he's just warming up right here. But he, he says, here's how long this awful uh, period of persecution is going to last. Verse 13, I heard a holy one speaking. Everybody say, that's probably Jesus. And another holy one said to that certain one, the first one, who is Jesus, who was speaking, how long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifices and the transgression of desolation, the giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? How long is this hell going to last? That's what he's asking. And you got a holy one who's doing the talking, another one who asked the first holy one a question, and that's why I think it's Jesus because a holy one is asking the first holy one who seems to have all the answers to tell him how long this hell is going to last. Only Jesus has the answers to that. Well, the first holy one Daniel mentions, I believe to be Jesus, the wonderful counselor who unravels mysteries. And this holy one Jesus replies with an answer. Look at this, verse 14. He said to me, for 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. The hell will stop and the sanctuary will be cleansed from this profanity, and this defilement. He gives, now, a year contains, as you know, 365 days. So how long is 2,300 days? It is six years, three months, and 18 days. Everybody say, God knows to the day. God knows to the day. What hasn't even started yet? This time period begins, it, now the way we measure that is, is this way. We measure it by the first entrance of Antiochus into Judea. 
because that's when the hell began, when he profaned the priesthood. And it includes his return a second time when he banned their worship, set up an idol in the temple. That was the abomination of desolation right there. And you know what it was? It was a pig. He put a pig in the Holy of Holies. Set up an idol in the temple, and he interrupted the daily sacrifice. So if you take when he went the first time and then went back the second time, and you add it all up, history shows us it ended when a man named Judas Maccabeus invaded Jerusalem and drove Antiochus and his forces out. And when you measure the time, it was six years and some change. Just what God told Daniel, what the Holy One told Daniel. Jesus told Daniel. Everybody say, he's a mighty God. Can you say it with me again? He knows the end before the beginning begins. I really want us to take this away. When we study this book of Daniel, this powerful book of Daniel, starting in the first chapter all the way through, we're seeing that God is the God of nations. He's the God who raises up and puts down. And he's also the God who knows precisely when it's all going to come to an end. Gabriel interprets the vision. Now, Gabriel's going to come along and finally interpret all this for Daniel. I've interpreted most of it for you. So I'm just going to read along now as we come to the close of this. And we're going to finish uh, chapter 8 tonight. Uh, So let's just read. And if I want to comment on something briefly, I will. Verse 15, then it happened when I, Daniel, had seen this vision, and I wanted to know the meaning, I'm seeking the meaning, that suddenly there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Ula'i, the river, who called and said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. Say with me, understanding comes from God. Verse 17, so he came near where I stood. And when he came, I was afraid and fell on my face. That's the only normal reaction when you see an angel. If you ever see an angel, don't tell me you dance with an angel in your bedroom. You didn't dance with any angel in your bedroom. Because if you see a real angel, you are hitting the ground. You are afraid. It is an awesome thing. So he fell, I fell on my face and he said to me, understand, son of man, that the vision refers to the time of the end. Verse 18, now as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground, but he touched me and he stood me upright. He was slain in the spirit and God had to pick him up in order to get the interpretation. And he said in verse 19, look, I'm making known to you what shall happen in the latter time of the indignation for the appointed time, the end shall be. It was true for Daniel's day and these nations that he predicted about, and it's true for the end of time as we know it. The appointed time, the end shall be. The ram which you saw having two horns of the kings of Media and Persia. The male goat is the kingdom of Greece. The large horn that is between his eyes is the first king. And who's that, everybody? Alexander. As for the broken horn, who's that? Alexander. And the four that stood up in its place, his four generals. Four kingdoms shall arise out of that nation, but not with its power. They will never be as strong as Alexander was. Verse 23, and in the latter time of their kingdom, 
When the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise, Antiochus Epiphanes, having fierce features, who understands sinister schemes. This guy is a sinister, diabolical schemer. His power will be mighty, but not by his own power. It's satanic. He shall destroy fearfully and shall prosper and thrive. He shall destroy the mighty and also the holy people. That's the Jews of his day. Verse 25, through his cunning, he will cause deceit to prosper under his rule. Wasn't that a dark day when deceit prospers? Isn't that a dark day when deceit prospers? When you can't find truth, deceit is prospering. And look what it says, he shall exalt himself in his heart. That's what Antiochus did. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princes. He'll rise up against and challenge God, which is what Antichrist that is yet to come will also do. But he shall be broken without human means. In other words, he will be broken without a remedy. When God takes you down, there is no remedy. Verse 26, and the vision of the evenings and the mornings, which was told, is true. Therefore, seal up the vision, for it refers to many days in the future. Folks, let me just pause there before we read the final verse. There are things that, um, if, if we had been studying certain things in Bible prophecy 150 years ago, there were a lot of things they could not understand that we now can understand because some time has gone by. And sometimes you just have to trust God with his secrets. There are, there are things that God can show you that you won't fully understand until some time goes by. If I can just insert this, when Kathy was diagnosed, God spoke to my heart immediately that night and said to me, I have a plan. Trust my plan. Just like that. Now, you know what? I don't fully understand what that means yet. But you know what? I will. He gave me a word. And now I'm, that, I'm, I'm doing what Mary did. It says Mary hid these things in her heart. The word hid there is so strong in the Greek language, it means under lock and key. She protected the word of God. She would not let an enemy get in and steal the word of God out of her heart. When God gives you a word, the enemy is going to come after it and try to take it out of your heart. He'll try to steal it out of your heart. That's the beginning of the, that's the first thing that happened in the parable of the sower. The seed was sown and the devil plucked that seed off the ground before it had a chance to root. He's always, the devil's always after the, the words that God gives you personally. So there's times you've got to put that word under lock and key and protect it. And the time will come when what has been sealed up and you haven't fully understood will make sense to you. It refers to many days in the future. And verse 27, I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days. Afterward, I arose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. But, you know, isn't it cool? We understand it now because we're looking back. He was looking forward. We're looking back. We can understand it now. Everything he saw has happened. To him, it was future. To us, it's history. 
But isn't it powerful how God knew exactly what was going to go down, how it was going to go down, when it was going to go down? So again, say with me, we learn from Daniel, God is the Lord of nations. He sees the end of something before its beginning begins. He puts down one leader and raises up another, and no man, nation, or devil can resist his will. Can we stand together tonight?